The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on the lab report, Kara Collier of NutriSense. Yeah, we're going to revisit continuous glucose monitoring. She's going to help us make sense of your CGM. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. How about that Super Bowl, huh? Huge. Yeah. I'm a big, I'm a big football fan, you know. I know. And I'm a fan of commercials. <laughs> Hello! Hey, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. How about you? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank Good. you for asking. Uh, this is a podcast. Wow. It's brought to you by Genova Diagnostics. It's called The Lab Report. And it's where we talk about things like functional medicine, specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and the like. And if you're new to this show might be a good idea. Maybe just go to iTunes or Spotify. Maybe hit the subscribe button. Maybe do that. Some stars. Mmm, stars. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> Leave us a review, some feedback there. And if you have additional feedback, you can email it to podcast at gdx.net. That's our email address. It is. And today we're going to talk about continuous glucose monitoring. And we've touched on this in the couple prior episodes. Yeah, this, this is a... a pretty exciting terrain to be in. There's a lot of interest in continuous glucose monitoring. And from a practical standpoint, from a clinical standpoint, I think there's a lot of uh, information you can glean from it. And it, you know, it helps with people in understanding what they're doing to their body. Well, I was wondering if maybe you had a continuous glucose monitor on you while you were watching the Super Bowl, what we might see there. No, I try to ignore my own data. <laughs> it's for the best. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of biofeedback uh -huh. right up until the point where it relates to myself. Oh, my goodness. Well, the good news is that we have an expert in continuous glucose monitoring coming today, Kara Collier mm -hmm. from NutriSense. And so we're going to get more insight from her on various patterns and what this all means. Yeah, and I know when you did your CGM experiment mm -hmm. on yourself, you had mm -hmm. some pretty interesting findings that you're probably eager to uh, can't wait. explore. Can't wait. Hey, Michael, guess who's here? Oh, I know. I'm pumped. Kara Collier. Let me tell you a little bit about Kara if you're not familiar. Kara yeah. Collier is a registered dietitian nutritionist and certified nutrition support clinician with a background in clinical nutrition, nutrition technology, and entrepreneurship. After becoming frustrated with the traditional healthcare system, she helped start the company NutriSense, where she is now the director of nutrition. Kara is the leading authority on the use of continuous glucose monitoring technology, particularly in non-diabetics for the purposes of health optimization, disease prevention, and reversing metabolic dysfunction. Kara oversees the health team and product development and has personally interpreted thousands of complex glucose data sets. Cool. And with that, welcome, Kara. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Awesome. Well, you know, my first question, um, kind of as a dietitian nutritionist, you were initially in traditional clinical practice seeing patients. And I think a lot of our docs can kind of relate to wanting to do something mm -hmm. different. What led you to make the leap to nutrition technologies? Yeah, as you know, you may have heard this story before mm -hmm. working in 
the clinical world, um, I was primarily in ICUs, critical care nutrition was mm -hmm. a very frustrating experience for me. So I felt like I was seeing a lot of unnecessary suffering and I felt like I was not able to make the impact that I was trying to make. Mm -hmm. um, I was seeing people decades too late, you know, when they're having acute complications from lifestyle related chronic conditions. So there's very little focus on preventative health or health optimization. Mm -hmm. And I needed to be talking to these people just way, way earlier. Yeah. Uh, so all of that experience kind of in that clinical world led me towards the rabbit hole of metabolic health. Uh, Cause really, you know, my goal was how can we prevent these people from ending up in the ICU? Yeah. And it really geared towards, we have to optimize their metabolic health in order to prevent diabetes and cardiovascular disease and kidney disease. And then really diving into metabolic health led me to nutrition technologies and particular the continuous glucose monitor that we'll talk about um, because this is just a device that makes so much sense you know it's a combination of a, a really meaningful metric for metabolic health which is glucose mm -hmm. but also allows for personalization you know everybody is a unique person at the end of the day and we're gonna have different responses so when we can see what's happening on the inside that helps us to personalize interventions and then it also adds the component of immediate feedback. And that's what I love about technology and wearables and labs and data mm -hmm. is it drives behavior change because you get to see in the moment what's going on and you can't hide from it. You know, you can't sugarcoat it. It's the truth. It's much more factual than kind of vague dietary advice that you're trying to give someone to make a change. Yeah. Yeah. So I love working in nutrition technology because it just, it makes so much more sense. It's more meaningful and it's easier for the client, the patient, the individual to understand as well. Yeah. yeah data can be compelling for patients, yep. right? Yeah. So we've touched on continuous glucose monitoring a few times on our show, but just as a reminder for our listeners, give us kind of your elevator speech to patients as to what it is and why you would recommend or why someone might seek it out to try to do it. Sure. So a continuous glucose monitor or a CGM is a small wearable device that you can put on the back of your arm or some brands also allow you to put it on your abdomen. And then once it's placed and it's very painless, very easy to insert, you know, people always ask me, is it going to hurt? Mm -hmm. And I promise you, you do not feel it at all. If you've ever pricked your finger with a glucometer or got labs drawn, that is much more um, of a, a small, you know, painful moment than putting on the CGM. Mm -hmm. So it's painless. You do it at home and then it sits on the back of your arm for two weeks, so 14 days. You're going to get continuous glucose data. So it's measuring the data in about five to 15 minute increments and it's sending it to your smartphone. So if you wake up in the middle of the night or you wake up in the morning, you can check your phone and see what your glucose was doing all night long. Mm -hmm. And so this is where I think everybody should wear a CGM at least once in their life because it provides you types of insights that you really can't get in any other way. Um, so if you already understand the importance of glucose as a metric, then you definitely want to see what's happening continuously because you can see, you know, those nuances of what's happening while you're sleeping, exactly what happens after you eat a meal, you know, what are the things that are causing your glucose to go higher than you 
originally realize. You just can't get these insights with any other metrics out there. And when you have those insights, you can truly get a good indication of what's going on with your general metabolic health, which allows us to really optimize and truly prevent chronic conditions. Um, so it's much easier to spot those yellow flags in someone's mm -hmm. data and tweak things rather than catch it two decades later when, you know, an A1C starts to become abnormal or a fasting glucose starts to rise. So this is just a quicker indicator of what might be wrong and where we need to address anything and make some changes in your lifestyle habits. Um, and then again, you know, with the accountability behavior change aspect of the data, it really helps people to build a lifestyle plan that's unique to them and is motivating to them. You know, you may have heard something generic, like you should go on walks throughout the day or shouldn't sit all day or I shouldn't eat that candy. But when you see it with real data and it's right there in your face in the moment, mm -hmm. it's much easier for people to stick to that plan. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, that's the power of so many different biofeedback kind of technologies, too. And, um, you know, what th there's uh, like we said, we've talked about some CGMs out there. Can you touch on a little bit about NutriSense uh, in particular and, and what makes you guys look different? Yeah, absolutely. So we are using the Abbott Freestyle Libre um, and we're combining that technology with human experts to help you become the healthiest version of yourself at the end of the day. So we're really working with anyone on that metabolic health spectrum. So it could be somebody who's, you know, a metabolic superstar, super insulin sensitive, and just looking to continue to optimize all the way to somebody who's a type two diabetic and looking to improve their values. Mm -hmm. And what I think is really different about us is that we do pair each customer with a trained dietitian that is specializes in metabolic health. Um, so we really think it's extremely important to have a human aspect to this journey because glucose isn't always simple. You know, it's not just I eat sugar and my glucose goes up. There's a lot of different factors that can influence our glucose and different nuances in your response that can mean different things. So that dietitian is there to help understand your data and make you, you know, aware of what's happening so you can make the most of it. You know, they're looking at things not just like diet, but also sleep and stress and exercise and all these other factors that can play a role. Yeah. So we really believe with that data and that human, you know, it cuts through the noise of the nutrition world mm -hmm. and helps you kind of build something that works for you. Yeah, that's great. Well, and when you're looking at the data, you know, I think there's some debate out there about, oh, what's important is the level of the spike or maybe the overall area under the curve or the average daily glucose variability. There's a lot of different kind of metrics. Um, I'm wondering, is there one that you think of as being more worrisome or maybe help us unpack this a little? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, there are multiple nuances to the data, and I would argue that these metrics are equally important for the most part. You know, we want to look at the full picture um, and we don't want to take just one snapshot in isolation. That's why I think if you're just getting a fasted glucose level or just getting a hemoglobin A1C, we're missing such a rich picture of mm. your glucose homeostasis. So mm -hmm. we really want to look at the whole picture. Um, if I had to pick just one, I would say that metrics around glycemic variability are 
potentially you could argue the most important because there's just so much data that glycemic variability, which is really the swings in your glucose are so important in health outcomes. So this is what's completely missed from the traditional metrics as well is this is how high is your glucose going and then how low is it going? How much is it just fluctuating throughout the day? Mm -hmm. And metrics like standard deviation and area under the curve can help approximate for that glycemic variability. There's a couple other metrics as well that we calculate inside the app and you can calculate if you have that continuous data. And there's a lot of research that shows high glycemic variability or a lot of swings in your glucose creates more oxidative stress and more mitochondrial stress and more cardiovascular damage than sustained high glucose levels. Huh. Uh, so that's a metric I'm really putting a lot of attention on. But with that being said, you know, those other metrics are also important. So if we think about the level of the spike, this is an independently important metric. So if you eat, let's say you eat a sweet potato and one person consumes that and their glucose goes to 120 and another person consumes that and their glucose goes to 160, that's, you know, completely different health risk. So that glucose spike, anything above 140 really on a repeated basis is going to risk damaging the endothelial tissue. So this is something where we're, we're kind of looking at it from a cardiovascular standpoint mm -hmm. is it's this concept of glucotoxicity where too much glucose in the bloodstream at any time is damaging to both the microvasculature and macrovasculature of the body. So just that absolute number, which in traditional metrics isn't even looked at for diabetes, you know, we're we're never really looking at the maximum glucose value for diagnosing diabetes. It's usually fasted average or two hours after a meal, mm -hmm. but it's really important to see how high it's ever going because that's going to damage that endothelial cells and it's going to cause an inflammatory reaction and oxidative stress. So that's really important from that aspect. And then if we think about average glucose levels, this is important because if we're if we have a lot of glucose in the system, even if it's not too high, like we're not spiking too high, but on average it's high, that can cause glycation of protein. So um, a lot of people have heard of the term advanced glycation end products, mm -hmm. which stands for ages, which I always think is very ironic <laughs> and accurate right. because it can right. speed, speed up our epigenetic clock. You know, mm -hmm. this is really the connection between glucose and longevity. Um, we don't want a bunch of sugar in the bloodstream because it can caramelize these proteins and damage cellular functions, you know, impair structural integrity. So we also want to be mindful of the average glucose level in our circulation at any point in time. So, you know, not a simple answer. I would say they're all yeah. important and we're looking at all of these and, and having metrics for these in the app. But that makes sense because yeah. nothing is as simple as, as it appears. Never, right? There's nuances yeah. to everything. <laughs> but so although we're looking at these spikes and the area under the curve to get some insight into metabolic dysfunction, can we maybe just pick your brain and touch on a few clinical scenarios that are unrelated to diabetes or insulin resistance and what CGM can tell us? Um, so we know that stress and exercise can increase cortisol, which in and of itself is a glucocorticoid. What do you see on the CGM if someone is super stressed or they're working out or is it different for everyone? 
Yeah. So stress is a big one that we're talking about all the time because we we seem to live in a very stressed out society. So Mm -hmm. this definitely shows up on the CGM data. You know, there's kind of two different categories we can think of stress in. One is our acute stress response, which is normal and healthy. And so let's say you have an acute moment of stress because you got an angry email or you got in a car accident you're going to have that release of cortisol, like you mentioned, and this is going to drive glucose up. So this causes the body to create more glucose and also decrease the amount of glucose uptake in the muscle so that glucose stays around for circulation. Mm. So essentially the body is saying you need energy, you're under stress. So if it's acute, you know, we see usually a glucose spike, but it should come back down when the stress is resolved. Um, The problem, of course, is chronic stress. So this equates to constantly elevated glucose levels and that decreased insulin sensitivity. So this is where we really run into trouble. And we see this come out in the data often in those kind of overnight morning waking fasted glucose values. Um, So often somebody who's very stressed out is having glucose values run in the low hundreds when they're fasted, which would be considered abnormal um, and something we want to lower, but they're eating really well, they're exercising, they're a normal weight, but they're under a lot of stress. Mm. And it's this constant cortisol simulation. And so when we work on stress management techniques, they see that morning glucose lower and that fasting glucose lower. So that's where we usually see it show up the most. Hmm. Um, and it's, it's common, uh, you know, it's something we're talking about daily. So that's a really important factor for people to take into consideration. Yeah. Right. Well, another thing that's um, almost as prominent as stress, at least these days, is the ketogenic diet and ketosis that's really popular. And um, (laughs) I wonder about how CGM values react to people in the ketogenic diet and in ketosis. Yeah, typically if you're in ketosis, your glucose should be pretty low. Um, So for somebody who's eating a mixed macronutrient diet and they're including carbs, we usually say the thresholds to stay between are 70 and 140. But if you're in ketosis, you know, we're really saying closer to like 70 to 120 should rarely be going above 120, Mm -hmm. um, if ever. So glucose levels tend to go pretty low. Um, There's an inverse relationship between ketones and glucose. Occasionally, we'll run into the instance where ketones are high and glucose is high. And that would be a little bit of a red flag. That is a signal of energy overload. You know, we have a bunch of energy from glucose and also a bunch of energy from ketones. So to me, the first thing I'm going to look at in that situation is stress and sleep. <laughs> like, are we driving mm, yeah. up that glucose because of cortisol right. um, and also excess energy? So if you're just in an overload of energy, you know, you're eating fat bombs all day, then you might have high ketones and high glucose levels. But we should see them go in an inverse relationship um, to, you know, obviously, to an extent, your glucose isn't going to keep going down, it's right. going to bottom up at one point or another, mm-hmm. usually somebody who's in a high level of ketosis, they might have lower glucose values around in the 60s, sometimes even in the high 50s and feel really great. And that's completely normal if their ketones are, you know, four, you know, mm. and that kind of upper threshold. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fun fact, Kara, mm-hmm. I wore a CGM for about a month just this past summer and I was in ketosis and working out every day and I am not diabe- diabetic, but my, my CGM 
was kind of in the 50s the entire time. And so I would come into Michael and I say, I'm asymptomatic. I'm hypoglycemic. I'm either metabolically awesome or I'm going to die soon. So <laughs> is there any concern around being non-diabetic and having this asymptomatic hypoglycemia? Yeah, it's a good question. And we, we do get asked this quite often. Um, if you're asymptomatic, I'm really not concerned. So, you know, in general, for a non-diabetic, we have counter-regulatory processes in place to maintain glucose levels. And if these fail, there's usually symptoms are produced to send a signal to the brain. So mm-hmm. we always want to pay attention to hypoglycemic symptoms. But if we're not having symptoms, it probably means that everything is okay. Um, I have not found any convincing evidence that if you're having glucose in the 60s and you feel really good, especially if you're in ketosis, that that's a problem. Um, so I'm, I'm really not concerned. If it starts to fall below 50, then that's a little bit of a different story. We do need some baseline amount of circulating glucose for glucose sensitive organs, but um, 50s, 60s, definitely 70s, not to be concerned if you're not having any symptoms. See, Michael, right. superior genetics. I'm going to live right. forever. <laughs> <laughs> Impressive. <laughs> um, what about the menstrual cycle? Have you seen any patterns emerge related to, you know, whether it's follicular phase, luteal phase, mm-hmm. and just how hormones are fluctuating? Yeah, definitely. And this is an important conversation, I think, to have because a lot of women don't realize this. Um, I love the phrase I'm stealing from Stacey Sims where she says, women are not small men. You know, it's completely Mm -hmm. different physiology. And we do see higher glucose levels during the luteal phase, especially. And again, this is pretty personalized where every woman experiences this a little differently. Some people experience a very dramatic change in their glucose levels, where for others, it might be very minor. But in general, we see those higher glucose levels during the luteal phase. So, you know, weeks three and four, when estrogen's a little bit lower, progesterone is peaking. Um, And there seems to be quite a few reasons for this, you know, mostly is that we just tend to have decreased insulin sensitivity during this during this phase, um, and also lower glycogen turnover. So it's harder for women to use their stored carbohydrate during this time. Um, and also it tends to be the phase when we are having kind of typical PMS symptoms. So maybe some cravings or some bloating. And so I think it's really important for women to know this because if this is affecting somebody strongly, then we don't want to be having lots of, you know, sugary treats and snacks during this time, because we're going to respond even higher to those than we might in a different phase of our cycle. Um, So it's important to kind of have this knowledge so that you can respond appropriately. You know, we can't change how our hormones are reacting, but we can change how we live in accordance to that. And, you know, what meals we're choosing and what dietary patterns we're following. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Another question that I just kind (laughs) of came up when you were talking about the example of somebody, two different people having a sweet potato and having different kind of overall spikes related to that. How much interpersonal or variability is there? Is, is the fact that somebody is going to have a spike higher than another person really just where they are in the spectrum of metabolic dysfunction? Or is there also a lot of kind of variability on how certain foods react to people? Yeah, there's 
on top of just the spectrum of metabolic dysfunction is there's just a lot of variability, Mm -hmm. which I actually have found to be one of the most interesting things when you start to see a lot of people's data and you're working with a lot of people wearing a continuous glucose monitors, just how unique we all are at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is where I have just found the, you know, generic glycemic index to not be very predictive of how someone might respond. Mm -hmm. Uh, just pulling from my own experiences, Um, you know, I, when I first was wearing my first couple CGMs, I was testing all types of fruits in the same portion size, same time of day, same exact scenarios. And the fruit that actually consistently I have the lowest glucose response to is bananas, which just cracks me up because everyone says (laughs) bananas are so starchy and you shouldn't eat them. And I'm like, I don't really move at all to them. Um, so it's really interesting. And then, you know, there's other dietitians on my team who are just as metabolically healthy as me, you know, physically active, normal weight, and they have a huge glucose response to bananas. It truly is very variable. And of yeah. course, you know, the more on the spectrum you go towards metabolic dysfunction, the more you're going to have a high glucose response to most carbs. Mm-hmm. But for the insulin sensitive folks, it is, is variable. And, and I think there's a lot of factors we just don't know for why it's so variable. We definitely know there's a microbiome connection and probably a genetic component. Um, and I'm sure there's other factors we're going to uncover as we learn more and more about this, but it's certainly personalized. Yeah. And it's, it's so fascinating and having done these experiments, experiments with the CGM for a month, there are so many lessons that you learn in the midst of that. So this is such compelling information and, you know, I'm sure there are clinicians and patients out there who are listening, who are interested in getting a continuous glucose monitor. Where could they find NutriSense or find you on social media? Yeah. So the best way to sign up for the program and get a CGM is just to go to our website, Nutrisense.io. And then, yeah, we're also on all the social media. So Instagram, Twitter at Nutrisense.io. So we're always kind of putting out our experiences and also interesting research that is coming out. Awesome. Well, uh, before I let you go, Kara, we we do have one extra question. It's a curveball question that we call the (laughs) fireball. It's usually a ridiculous question. I hope you don't mind. Okay, Um, let's do it. uh, So this is maybe antithetical to our previous conversation. (laughs) But my question is, if you were to consume like one thing that would just blow your CGM out of the water, like like a dessert, (laughs) what would be the dessert that you would go for? Hmm. Good question. Um, <laughs> both because I know it would blow my CGM data out of the water and because it's tasty. I love bread pudding, like a really Ooh, good, good one. But it's not going to look good. Yeah. Good one. Look at you, Michael. Go to the question. It's going to blow up the monitor. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kara, this has been so much great information and we can't thank you enough for spending time with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. All right. I'll get one. You should. You should. And having done it, I will say it was really fun, like trying to figure out what what your body does to food and exercise. But the other point I think important that she pointed out very well is that it doesn't hurt. I mean, I couldn't even feel it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm less concerned about the pain and more concerned about the emotional pain of what happens (laughs) when I eat a bagel, essentially. And then I'm like, yeah, I can't be eating bagels. Well, I was worried for the first week with my sh- my blood sugar being that low, mm-hmm. but now I feel much better after talking to Kara. That's good. I'm I'm glad you feel better. Uh, I can't wait for 
when I show you my results and your question is going to be, is that the uh, stock market chart for GameStop? And I'll be like, <laughs> no, that's my CGM results. Nice. Next time on The Lab Report, Taylor Dukes. We're going to talk about a lot of things like fertility, prenatal care, functional medicine, virtual visits, being a working mom. Sounds like she does it all. Professional athletes. Wow. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Michael. Yeah. I know you're kind of wild and crazy and free. I am. And... You've been known to dabble a bit in the stock market. <laughs> okay. Have you been following? Have you really been following all of the GameStop stuff on the subreddits? I've just been, yeah, periodically I've been watching it because it's <laughs> actually entertaining it's more than anything. Yeah. Um, and what's entertaining is that I know they're like whatever, buying the shorts and all that sort of stuff. Mm. But it, really what it seems like is they pulled some ad flyers from 2002 uh-huh. with all these because they're going like GameStop and then like AMC and, and Nokia <laughs> yeah, and Express. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is like, this? Like, join us in the now. <laughs> it makes you wonder, like, what's next, you know? Like, hmm. should check out MySpace and Blockbuster. <laughs>